Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show podcast for this week, taken from my radio show. Some of the music will be trimmed shorter, but if it is played in full, it is with full permission of the artist. Otherwise, it's trimmed for rights reasons. Please enjoy this podcast, and if you want to catch us live, you can catch us on the Bear.Live every Thursday, 8pm till 10pm UK time. For now, please enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Headphones up. This is David Osmond from the Firesign Theater. Whenever I'm kind of wandering around the blogs trying to find something really interesting, I go to the bear and I ask the bear to show me the Dr. Squee Show. It's wonderful. It's Thursday. It's nine o'clock. Or it's eight o'clock even. Ha <laughs> ha! First mistake of the show, and I haven't even got through the intro. It's Thursday. It's 8 o'clock. For fuck's sake. Again. Let's try this once more. It's Thursday. It's 8 o'clock. And it's the Dr. Squee show. I'm Dr. Squee, and this is my show. That's what happens when you try to mess about with the format. It goes pear-shaped. Guys, we've got a fantastic show for you this week. The intro notwithstanding, we've got Gem Swallow from the brand new Gem's Feel Good Tunes here on The Bear. And then we're joined by Eddie Pence, uh, the amazing stand-up comedian. You know him from the Ralph Report and his amazing stand-up, as I say. And you can get his unspecial comedy special right now, either to buy or to stream. Now, um, actually, what I'll do is I will kick off. Let's play the trailer for Gem's new show. It's absolutely wonderful. Here we go. Want some feel-good tunes in your life? I got you covered. Check out Gem's feel-good tunes Saturdays from 7 to 8pm with me, Gem Swallow, only at The Bear. Saturday, 7pm. Online 24-7 at thebear.live. So, a fantastic new show uh, from here, from thebear.live. You can check that out every Saturday, as Jem's just told you there. And uh, we had a wonderful time talking to her. And we also spoke to Jem about the big question of the week this week, which is kind of a crossover. It's kind of, if you like, sponsored by Jem's Feel Good Tunes. Uh, because her, on her podcast, which she also does, she raised the question... What first made you feel like an adult? And I thought, well, seeing as we do the big question of the week, why don't I have Gem on and we'll talk about that very thing and we'll put that out to our listeners. So you came up with some wonderful answers. I actually forgot to do my answer when we were talking about this, but for me, it was actually, uh, I forget what the question was, but um, my stepdaughter, Amy, came up to me and asked me a question one day. I said, oh, you should do this. Um, or, Or it might have been something she was doing and I kind of told her off and go, oh, no, you should do this, not this. And then later on, I saw her doing the very thing which I'd said. And I was like, what, why are you doing that? She goes, well, well, you told me to. And just the surprise which registered on my face in that moment. Because, you know, I'd uh, just started dating at the time her mum. And uh, it was, the, or, you know, we'd start living together at very least. 
And it was the first time I realised that my words had weight, you know, that what I said actually affected someone's life and uh, someone's path in life even. So that was really quite a grounding moment. But anyway, we talk about your answers to that big question of the week. We have uh, Eddie Pencil today joining us in a little bit. But first, let's kick off with some tunes. Now, of course, football has been in the air. And as I discussed last week, I know fuck all about football. I am not a football guy. I'm more sci-fi than football any day of the week. However, there are a few tunes which can make me feel like uh, like inspired, as if football is the most important thing in the world. And we play three tracks tonight, which uh, are in kind of that category. And we're going to kick off with the one which makes me feel very patriotic for my own uh, home team, England. This is Three Lines by uh, Badil, Skinner and the Lightning Seeds. You're listening to The Bear. And that was New Disaster by the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, now, here on the Bear.live, we're always welcoming in new shows, and it is my pleasure to welcome uh, some of the hosts from those shows onto my little program here. And we're going to do that just now from the Feel Good Tune Show on a Saturday night, 7 to 8. Please welcome Jem. How are you doing? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is a new one. <laughs> It's great. I'm loving this. Like, look, all I'm going to say is it's, it's a little bit of a sausage party here over at the Bear. So it's good to get another female DJ on the on the uh, on the tunes here. All I want to say is, oop, oop, raise your ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am starting to think that maybe Al, our beloved station manager, has a lack of imagination. Two women on the Bear and they're both called Jem. Yeah, I actually, it was weird actually because I discovered that a few days ago when um, we were talking and we were talking about doing this show and I actually, you know, doing a little bit of research as us podcasters do and when I was listening to your previous episode and I saw Gem, I was like, okay, right. And when I pressed play and then I heard another female, I was like, oh, there are two gems. Okay, right. I did not see that coming, but it's all cool. So, you know, (laughs) it's... It's good. It's good to be another gem. It doesn't happen often. I think the last time it happened, I was at primary school. So I'm all for new experiences, you know. <laughs> Excellent. That's what we like to hear. So um, tell us about the new show. Where where's the idea come from and uh, how did you get involved here on the Live? So I've actually always been involved in radio. So I've actually been involved in radio since I was 17. So it's like been many, many moons, <laughs> many moons ago. The grey hairs can tell you that. <laughs> and I'm actually yeah, also I know a pod- uh, I know, right? I mean, acceptance is trying to happen, but it's a slow process. <laughs> so I actually yeah. also have a podcast called Quacky Gems Podcast. And I wanted to get back into doing radio. And I thought, okay... It's kind of a hard thing to get into, but when I discovered the bear and I thought, oh, okay, it was actually my other half that said, why don't you apply for that? So I applied and I thought, right, if I want to do a show, what kind of show do I want to do? 
And I thought, right, I want to do feel-good tunes because, for me, I love nothing more than listening to, like, my playlists and most of them are really feel-good anthems, you know, like, as my mum would call them, headbangers. And I thought, why don't we just put, like, feel-good tunes and then go with that? And that way you can listen to any decade because, you know, you've got some really decent decades out there, any genre... And I thought, why not just do that? And I thought, cool. So I, yeah, as you mentioned, Al, who's the founder of The Bear, run it past him and Bob's your uncle. And le- this last Saturday was the first show that went out. So, yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. A lot of excitement's happened. A lot of nerves, a lot of, oh, oh, okay, right, this is all new. But <laughs> I think it's bound to happen. So, yeah, that's the new show. Fantastic. And yeah, I was getting the feeling from your tune selection because I did enjoy the first episode. Uh, I, I definitely got a kind of feeling you were maybe from about the same era as me. So I, w- I, I would never ask a lady, but uh, I was born in 78. And I, I, I feel from your tune selection, you might be of somewhat of a similar vintage, obviously much younger, I'm sure. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> I was actually, I, I was, I grew up in the 90s. If you listen to Cracky Gems podcast, which I think many of my listeners will probably tune into this episode, then they will know that I am a child of the 90s, but I actually was born in the latter 80s. But I was raised around right. a baby boomer. And so my mum was the one that actually gave me the musical influence. It's actually so strange. When the show went out, which I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it thank you so much for tuning in to the first one when when we were discussing the songs you know and to figure out the playlist and one of the tracks that are coming up hopefully this saturday is from dr hook and the story behind that was my mum actually you know introduced me to dr hook the song was i think i can't actually remember what the title was but it's like i'm not a bad person i don't know if you i'm not going to sing it because i don't want to turn people away from this very episode but yeah that's <laughs> I'm like i've got to include this because you know that song is it's a funny one and it's also got a story behind it so yeah my musical influence has come from my mum and she was you know she's a baby boomer so it's like from the 60s to present day you know but how about you where's your musical what? influence come from Hey, look, look, I may not quite go back as far as the 60s. I'm just going to put that out there. I may be old, not quite that old. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I I have to blame my brother for my musical taste because growing up, it was his, well, we're we're talking vinyl and tape collection back in those days uh, that kind of first influenced me. So, you know, when when you're really young and you can't afford your own, like records and stuff, you start listening to your brother's stuff. And I had two older brothers, one of which... Yeah, let's just say better musical taste than the other and a more extensive uh, collection <laughs> being the older brother. So I'd go for my older brother, Duncan, and he'd play uh, stuff like he had lo- loads of old kind of blues stuff, which I really dig still to this day. I think quite influenced by the Blues Brothers, which uh, given that it came out, out in 1980, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that was a big influence on, on me and the kind of generation just before. Uh, so I kind of grew up with that movie. And so it got a lot of people into kind of like some really old classic blue stuff so a lot of louis armstrong and all that kind of uh, wonderful stuff and he also listened to 80s metal and 80s rock so uh, that laid the foundation for me to not only listen to that but later on get into my own kind of uh, period of listening to indie and uh, rock music and new new metal when that kind of came on the scene so i really have to blame my brother duncan for all my uh, musical tastes so if anyone has any complaints please just just address them to him Duncan, he's outed uh, you on his show. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
What? You is... know he's gay too? No, he's not really. He's not. He's not. Like, he's, he's very happily with his his his, uh, his girlfriend. <laughs> that's what that's what the amazing thing is about music, though. Especially, it's like me. I have um, a younger brother, and we actually have a song that every time I play it, it's from a rock band that really ordinarily I would never listen to. But growing up in the nineties, this rock band, I think I'm gonna just say it was Linkin Park. And me and my younger brother, we yes. have this like this memory of this song. So every time that, you know, especially with pandemic and you can't see your family members, whenever I play this song, it reminds me of that specific time. And it's like so vivid, you know, the memory is so vivid. You can remember how like your environment was. So, yeah, it's amazing mm. how, you know, a memory can hold with a specific song. But yeah, siblings, siblings will do that to you, won't they, you know? And Lincoln Park, excellent choice. I uh, actually caught them at, um, oh God, where is it? Uh, in London, uh, when they were doing their first UK tour. So like their first gig in the UK, I got to see it. It was absolutely fantastic. Camden, Camden of course. Absolutely awesome. wonderful. Have you ever caught them live? I haven't, no. I um, I actually haven't really which is really bad considering that i'm now like a dj but i actually haven't seen that many bands live i'll be really honest with you the only band i can remember seeing live and i'm really going to show my age here s club seven they're <laughs> they're at this thing called power in the park now there's a pick I know, right? I remember where I live in, you know, where we live, I keep forgetting it's a Southampton station, isn't it, the bear? So, yeah, where, yeah, um, you know, Southampton Common? Yes, very well. Right, so back in the day, um, there used to be another uh, station, another radio station called Power FM. And every year they used to put on this thing called Power in the Park. In this one year, I remember, oh my God, I cannot tell you how much of an S Club 7 fan I was, and still am. And I remember going in and actually remember they just hit number one and they came across the stage in Southampton Common and the atmosphere was so electric because it was their time. But rock bands, I think I've gone to see maybe one with my brother, but I can't actually remember the name of it. I, I can't even remember the song, so it made that much of an impact on me. <laughs> Uh, well, um, yeah, please, please bear in mind, because we do, as we exit out of our interviews with uh, our good people like yourself who come on the show, we do play a track for, for whoever comes on. So think of a track you want to hear. If it says Cup 7, I will bite my, t bite my tongue and do it. But, but that okay. gets to be your choice. So, um, but first of all, uh, one thing which uh, I thought was a wonderful way of doing a little bit of a crossover with yourself, you put out, I believe it was for your podcast, you put out a, a question of your listeners and that was about what was the first moment that made them feel like an adult. So yeah. uh, with your kind permission, I've kind of borrowed that for my listeners. And uh, we've got a few answers here. So we're going to do a bit okay. of a crossover with your show, I guess, here. So uh, these are the answers which my, my listeners came up with, with the first moments which made them feel like an adult. And then after that, we'll kind of play a tune for you on the way out of this. Sound good? Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, let's hear them. Okay. Okay, so this is from Max Payne. We've got some really good ones. And by the way, there are several, oh, I don't think I've got to be an adult. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Lovely answer. I do <laughs> really dig the comedy answer. But we got that about 20 times, so I may skip over a few of those. Okay. Uh, so Max Payne's put, at work, more years ago than I care to admit, a lad came to me asking what's the best way to do this particular task. My first thought was he should ask someone more experienced. So I looked around the factory Looked around it a few more times, and it was me. I was the most experienced person there. Eep! 
Oh, yeah, that, no. that's quite the moment. It, I will also add another one, which people haven't put here, along the similar lines is when you go into a shop and they call you sir or madam and you can tell they really mean it, you've got to that age. <laughs> that, that's, that's a bad moment, I can tell you. Uh, Debbie Garth, she, I'll read hers out because she's the first one to put, I haven't got there yet. Okay, we'll, we'll do that as representative of everyone else who doesn't feel like they're an adult yet. Um, we've got uh, Pam Ailing getting the first full-time job and a full pay packet. Come on, that, that's a special moment. Yeah, you remember yeah, when you get days? that moolah for the first time. Oh, and, and even better than that, when there isn't like kids and, and partners and uh, houses and mortgages and all this other stuff to come out of it. So you actually get to enjoy the full first, first pay packet as well. Yeah. That, that's a good moment. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I actually, think I also, like, the kids and the partners, yeah. I think that's what makes it fun, though, doesn't it? That's, like, the moment when... I remember when I did the episode in my podcast and I said, you know, like, the moment you became an adult and you're looking at what to have for tea and you're like, whoa, you know, mind going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do... Look, don't get me wrong. I am very thankful for my kids and for, for my partner and, and for everything else I've got in my life at the moment, uh, all these adult things. But man, when you get that first pay packet and you just get to spend it on booze, that's a pretty good moment. I actually can't remember what I spent my first pay packet on. I don't know. Do you know, that wasn't actually a rite of passage for me, which is quite worrying. I actually can't remember what I spent that on. Wow. Well, that I was a moment, right? With the first pay packet. <laughs> I but I'm just saying, can't like... remember. Wow. <laughs> no, it's gone. Wow, it must have been that much of a moment. <laughs> I did say I'd skip over these, but this one I really have to read out. It's from Martin Crofts, and he said, I still am a child, and, and I've got to read that out for him only because he's my friend uh, who I met from a few sci-fi events, which I go to, and he is known as the Pan Man. So he went on Britain's Got Talent with a saucepan on his head, bedazzled with the Monte all over it, and did a Dalek impression. Now, if there's one person who's still a child at heart, it's got to be Martin. You've got to admire That's that creativity. One. I mean, you have to, you know, yeah. not just a saucepan, but with they, you know, they dazzled it up. That's creativity there. Well done, mate. Well done. I, I mean, I'm giving you a yeah, hand. Yeah, That's I mean, really look, good. Look, yeah. We've all drunkenly put a pan on our head and to pretend to be a Dalek. Some of us got paid to do that for a, a period of our life, <laughs> and that's Martin. So I've got to admire that one. Yeah, uh, or my a buddy Lydia, she put. Uh, colander, that's a good one as well. But you don't get then the the uh, the weapon at the front. That's, that's very true, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Then Good you've got to there. get out a whisk, you've got to get out a spoon, you've got to get out more utensils to complete the colander look. You're a one-man band. <laughs> uh, what can be said? <laughs> one-man band. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Uh, Lydia's put, turning 20, I had a real freak out. I didn't feel like I was... Uh, I was I had purposefully enjoyed my teens and was finally starting to make the most of them. And then I turned twenty. That was almost the end of that was the end of being a teen or a child and the start of adulthood. And Lydia's put also that at seventeen she had moved out where she lived, you know, on her own. She moved out with a boyfriend, and uh, strange to look back on then, she sort of like uh, had this kind of big experience of moving in with a boyfriend into their own place. But that didn't feel like an adult. It was turning twenty. So it's kind of really weird how these kind of um, milestones feel different for different people. 
Yeah, it is. I think it's so strange because when I when I did my episode about it, it's amazing because I think it's like a cultural thing, isn't it? Like you turn a certain age and you're supposed to have like a specific milestone for that certain age. And if you don't have one, it's like, oh, it's like with me with my first pay packet. I remember I worked for a supermarket at the time in a Saturday job and I, I can't remember how much it was. And it was like, wow, I guess because it wasn't really a milestone moment for me which is really interesting. So yeah, I'm, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I can see that point. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, Ian Winterton, and now this is one I can relate to as a bit of a geek myself. Uh, when I switched off Doctor Who because I wasn't enjoying it and realised I didn't have to watch it. And apparently it was the <laughs> twin dilemma, if anyone's wondering. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There are some TV yeah, shows that who... we've had to sit through. As a child and as a I, teenager, I would also like yeah. to point out, I wish a few Doctor Who fans would realise they don't have to watch it if they're not in Jodie. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. If you don't like Jodie, just stop watching. It's fine. You don't have to enjoy it. Just stop whinging about it. Just don't and say uh, you did. Brian, Job done. There you go. There you go. Uh, Bryony Pierce has put giving birth. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. That's <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a moment in every woman's life, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that would, that would count, certainly. Uh, Paul, I'm 38 and I still feel like as a child uh, a good 90% of the time. Then I have to file a tax return or make a mortgage repayment. Again, yeah, it's like that yeah. that one thing, is it? Like, yeah, that's the moment when you realise adulthood has come knocking. Yeah. But it's good to have a young yeah. mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, my friend BJ Anderson, who's all the way over in Australia... Honestly, it was yesterday, the first official day of my life. My wife was working and I was the stay-at-home dad. Oh, beach, beach, man. Enjoy those nappies and stuff like that. That's going to be fun for you. That is an experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, it is indeed. Uh, oh, Catherine has uh, put, uh, Catherine Taberna has put my first month's paycheck and realising I was earning more than my dad. That freaked me out. Oh, God, yeah, oh, I can't wow. even imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Um, just skipping past the, I'll let you know when you get there. <laughs> we got it, guys. We got it. It's about 20 of them. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Regina Kelms put, uh, theoretical question. Can one feel like an uh, feel old, but not like an adult? A, yes. And then she's added, nevertheless, I had a moment when I had to take over responsibility for responsibilities for my aging mother now I will definitely take this one because uh, my mum's in her 80s and it's just that moment where you realize the the dynamic has shifted somewhat so they will still keep on telling you what to do don't get me wrong that will never end <laughs> but at some point you have to go around and help them out with stuff around the house and it's just it's such a weird moment um yeah. and just suddenly you realize like like I'm now officially power of attorney along with my two brothers for my mum and just that moment where it's like, you know, she can still make her own decisions, but it's just helping her out with kind of doing paperwork and things like that. It is such a surreal moment. But then again, I wonder what kind of podcast episode title that would be for your mum. Like, as a kid, it's kind of like you the moment you become an adult. I wonder what it would be like for your mum, like the, the moment where, like, the moment your sons came back and, you know, they did what <laughs> I've been doing for them their whole life. How do you like it now? You know? <laughs> I wish mum was, actually, my mum might be just a little bit that self-aware now, but to begin with, it was like, oh, stop trying to tell me what to do. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, that's a fun one. 
It's um, <laughs> it's, you, you realise you spent... You kind of like... It's sort of like working in reverse because your parents suddenly go through this kind of like teenage phase of trying to rebel against you, trying to help them, which is exactly what, you know, I would have done when I was a teenager to my mum. And like to see her doing it back to me is kind of like, um, yeah, yeah, my medicine don't taste so good. <laughs> and then yeah. and then finally yeah. they reach this point where they accept that you might know what you're talking about, which again is kind of what you go through or what I went through when I stopped being a teenager and realised, oh yeah, maybe my parents did know what the fuck they were talking about all these years. Maybe I should listen just a little smidge. But it kind it kind of comes Sorry, full yeah. circle, doesn't it? Because like your 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 mum taught you how to be an adult, and then it's kind of come back full circle because then you're taking care of her. So it's like the proofs in the pudding. So she's kind of eating the cake that she's cooked in a way, if that makes sense. I think it does. I'm going to go with yeah. It anyway. there, like there's it. logic uh... there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, that's more logic than the people can usually expect from this podcast. So I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> My buddy James King, he's put that um, it was putting petrol in his car for the first time because it was something he remembers his dad doing growing up. Oh, man, look, I don't drive, so I'm still in awe of people doing that. That still looks very grown up to me. Yeah, I have that moment, actually. I mean, I'm the older one and my younger brother is just, I think, finishing up his driving lessons. So that would be his moment soon. I haven't even, there's two years between us and I haven't even had that moment yet. So it's kind of like, whoa you know that that's what's coming up for you but hey you know well you, well done i mean that's quite cool you know <laughs> i like it i like it uh paul maxted has put moving into my own place yeah that'll do it too um mm-hmm. and kerry chapel now this is one which i i do particularly like because well like i want to kind of like well i'll read it and then i'll explain a bit but it's my friend kerry when my business was a success, so around uh, 34, then it all went wrong with me being ill. So now back to feeling like a child again, it was short-lived. And what I've had to remind Carrie is, uh, so uh, she's got kind of a few health issues. Um, so I, I believe it, I hope I'm not kind of uh, saying this wrong, but I believe it's ME, so it's basically she gets tired very easily. So uh, the, the phrase they like to use is kind of spoons as a metaphor. So it's like yeah, you've got to send well. spoons for the day and you can run out of them. Yeah, and I want to say yeah. to Carrie though, she still has three kids which she's raising and uh, she's still kind of uh, helping, with the help of her daughter, she kind of um, makes cakes and she had her own cake business. So uh, still raising three kids. And still having a business which you kind of co-run with your daughter. I think that very much counts as an adult. To be able to do all that and cope with this uh, awful of diseases which helps take energy away from people. I just want to say that makes you more adult than ever in my books. I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I've got a few health conditions myself. I've got something called chronic fatigue syndrome, um, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, and I've got something called migraines as well. So I've literally gone through that whole experience. So you kind of, for me, it happens, you get to a certain age where people are going to become an adult and then all of a sudden they carry on their lives and you're kind of taking a step back and you're thinking, oh, hold on a second, I can't catch up with you. So you're having to... You've got a different perception, so I completely agree. Yeah, I, I can completely see that, yeah. And as I understand, Jem, you didn't used to have migraines, but you want to complete the set? <laughs> no, I started off with migraines. I completed the set with endo. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm missing a reproductive oh. disease here. I'll throw one in. <laughs> oh. By the way, I'm not going to describe it. I'm not going to ask you to describe it, but for anyone who doesn't know what endometrius 
endometriosis is. Uh, I went through it with my ex-wife and uh, trust me, not fun, not fun at all. No, I wouldn't, so. I wouldn't um, put that on my worst enemy, to be honest, yeah. Not that I've got any, but yeah, it, I agree, it's not a fun disease at all, no. And by, by the way, I'm just feeling like a pussy now, only suffering from migraines and mild circulation disorder. So, you know, I just, yeah, I've got nothing on you. No, it's strange because when you, um, when we were talking, I think it was yesterday, and you said you had a migraine, and I was like, well, because, like, people don't really talk about the fact that they're migraine sufferers. I think maybe it's a personal thing, perhaps. It's a very personal thing when you have the pain and then you've got to go through the whole experience of it. And when you said that you were a migraine sufferer, I was like, oh, hi, fellow sufferer. I'm I'm one of you. I get what exactly we mean. And then I looked out the window and I thought, are you the culprit? Because the weather over here has been absolutely crazy, hasn't it? So I thought, are you the culprit yeah. or is it something else? And when you told me about your dog and I thought, uh, it's all, it's all oh, making God. sense now. Yeah. 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 For the dear listener, um, yeah, four nights in a row, uh, Benny decided. I mean, he had a bad tummy, so like, it's not his fault. But it is kind of so Benny to do this. He just kept us awake, kind of like just going. You take him down to go outside, and he just start eating loads of grass. It's like, oh, dude, come on, man, I need some sleep. <laughs> and spent half an hour trying to get him back in again. So after several sleepless nights, a migraine did hit. And the worst thing is, it's like today I've still got the migraine hangover. Yeah, oh, it's just not a good deal. These these migraines, I wouldn't recommend them. If you think about getting one, just just don't, in my opinion. And the yeah. thing is, I get atypical migraines, they call them. So I don't even get the pretty lights. I just get all the other side effects. At least you get a light show with a migraine, usually. I don't even get that. I am that light show. I get the light show. I'm the one that gets what's known as the aura. And sometimes it's so weird. The other night, I remember being sat in my bathroom. and I was talking to my other half, as you do. I, I've, I've started many yeah. a conversation on my own podcast saying, so the other night I was on the toilet, you know, just for your information, you know, in case you wanted that visual. <laughs> and where I was looking into the kitchen, I saw something dark move. And I was like, what is that? And I realised that it must have been some sort of optical illusion. But, yeah, I get all the glimmers. It's, it's Sometimes you can look at someone that's sat opposite you and you think, I can't see your face right now. I, I'll pretend that I can see all your expressions, but right now I'm not actually seeing your face. So, I mean, sometimes, it, you know, if you add humour to it, you can kind of make fun of it in your mind. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an experience, isn't it? And no two are the same. Well, the thing is, like... Uh... I really hate the idea of anyone thinking I'm skiving. And the thing is with yeah. migraine, it sort of sounds like you're a bit drunk. So it's like yeah. you've, got, you've got a headache. You've got kind of like slurred speech. It's, it, and the next fun. day when you come back. No, no, exactly. And it's like when I come back to work, I'm always so worried. I'm going to sound like I'm slurring. So it's going to sound like I just got pissed over the weekend and want an extra day off. But it's like genuinely was a migraine, I promise. Do you get kind of like um, anyway, the symptoms like beforehand? Like, do you get like your words miss out and things like that? For me, when I've done like a podcast, I can bit. sense it coming, like my words slur. And then you think, oh God, I'm going into one. Then you think quickly, finish the podcast, hit save, and then you're done, you know? No one will know. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Oh, we've got just one more answer. So we've got Stephen Collins. Um, my granddad took me driving up on the moors in New Yorkshire, age five. And I'm pretty sure I've read that's how you get your license in Yorkshire at five. <laughs> your granddad just takes you up driving, gives you the word as original, gives you a license, you go. Yeah, you know, JCB thrown in perhaps for good measure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think I'm following any northern stereotypes until then. <laughs> yeah, it's also my bad. Love Sorry. My northern friends. You can tell we're from the south, so my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing we know, because we're both from here in Southampton, geography works thus. So you've got the south, London, the north. That's how a map of England works. Exactly, yeah. Or if you're like me and you get your accents muddled up because your mum's from the outskirts of London. So when people look at you and you think, what is your accent? You think, well, I'm from Southampton, but I've got like a parent that's not. So that's that that would be me. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's generally how our geography works. Every now and again, there will be the odd Irish word will come out because my mum's from Ireland. So, yeah, I know exactly the thing. Uh, it's strange how it comes straight. Uh, do you tell us a bit about, uh, like, uh, what's, have you got anything planned for the next show? Anything kind of you can tease us out? So I am actually planning on having a song of the week. And what that is, it's usually about songs that I've been listening to that week. But today I decided that I was going to ask listeners. So if you guys have a song that has gotten you through a hard week, then shout it my way. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Radio Gem. And what I'll do is on a Saturday, I'll give you a shout out and, you know, give me a little bit of context. Why is it your song of the week? And we can just have a great time with it. And, you know, it'll be on my show and there'll be some proper headbangers there, I'm sure, as well. So, yeah, the song of the week is a new thing coming to Gems. <laughs> Feel good tunes. I forgot my own show name there. I tell you, it's been that time <laughs> of the day. Say, you don't know. <laughs> Oh, I don't I'll know. forgive myself, I must admit, on last week's show, I did uh, use your podcast name because I, I didn't realise it was a different name for the for the show. But you should know your own show name. Like, if you don't know, I, I can't help you. I should, but it's a new one. I'm so used to saying Quirky Gems Podcast and, like, that comes out on a Thursday. So when I say, like, Gems Feel Good Tunes and that comes out on a Saturday and it's like, right, I'm having to navigate here. So blame that on that and on the weather, OK? If you blame it on the weather, you can't go wrong. Am I right? And and lucky for you, Gem, I've already lowered these people's expectations through poor radio hosting. So anything you do will look professional next to me. So it's all good. Uh, but Gem, we're going to go out of this segment. Um, guys, if you're listening, uh, please do stay tuned. We've got Eddie Pence, fantastic stand-up comedian coming up. But before we do, Gem, what tune do you want to play coming out of this little segment here on the Dr. Squee Show? Okay, so the song is called Kings and Queens. I think the lady's name is called Ava, but I can't remember what her last name is. So as you can tell, I wasn't really prepared for this part of the segment, but I'm really trying my best to just power on through. So it's Kings and Queens. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I say, here's Kings and Queens coming your way, and then I'll send you the link. It's it's tons simpler. Sounds good. And let's uh, go over to that now before we hit Eddie, Eddie Pence. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for having me. If all of the kings had their queens on the throne, we would pop champagne and raise our toes. To all of the queens who are fighting alone, baby, you're not dancing on your own. Come home to Delamitri, Don't Come Home Too Soon, which was the anthem of Scotland. I'm not sure which football tournament it was. It, I'm going to say the World Cup one year. This shows you what I know about football. That's all I'm going to say, people. But 
barnstorming tune and we do wish luck to Scotland um, God knows England weren't able to score against them but neither were they against us so I, I, I think that makes it even we both went through we'll call it happy days like you know we're, we're all one United Kingdom except for when we beat each other at football so we drew that's a good day Anyway, guys, look, we're about to go over to my interview with Eddie Pence. But before we do, I thought it'd be fun to listen to one of his tracks from his new comedy album. This is Comedy Unspecial, which you can get now uh, to purchase or to stream wherever you want. Purchase it, though. Give the man a bit of money. Like streaming, he maybe gets a penny per million downloads. But, you know, buy the album. It's worth it. It's a good time. This is a track which is called Found Rabbit. And then we're going to go over to the interview. Dumbest animal sign I ever saw. I saw someone in the park said found rabbit. Found rabbit. There was like a whole paragraph about the found rabbit too. It was like, we found this rabbit in the park and we'd like to get it back to its home and the people that love it. So please give us a call, right? And so like, I want to call him up. I call him and I'm like, hey man, yeah, 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 yeah. I think he just found a rabbit. They live out there. <laughs> yeah, the park is its home. Other rabbits are its family. Let it go. Who's walking around parks? Rabbit, you must belong to somebody, rabbit. Let me take you. Why are you fighting it? Stop fighting. Try to help you, rabbit. Rattlesnake, you must belong to somebody, rattlesnake. <laughs> People are stupid. We're joined by my guest this week. He is a man who's a stand-up comedian. He's the vice host of The Ralph Report. And uh, if his wife asks... This show could have taken up to three hours because he said he might actually get some like alone time during this time. So like if anyone asked, this this was a three hour interview, bare minimum. Please welcome to the Dr. Squee Show, Eddie Pence. Hey. How are you doing, sir? How's it going? Uh, very well, thank you. I know what it's like when you've got a family. You just like any alone oh, time, you just got to just grab it. This this morning was especially, my wife threw her back out like two days ago. Oh, nice. So she can't even like put her pants on. So the reason I was late is because I was making, I was trying to clear the table so she could eat breakfast because she can't like sit at the uh, coffee table, like on the couch, or she's going to eat breakfast on the couch watch, or watching TV, but she couldn't. So I had to clear the table off and I had to make uh, breakfast for the kid. And then the dog was everywhere and I had to clean up that poop. It was just, it's been a morning. It's been what a morning. Kind of, what kind of dog you got, sir? We just got a Jack Russell Terrier puppy. He's like this big. Oh. He's a handful. He's a nightmare. Uh, we've got two dogs. I was just talk, talking about uh, our dog Benny. He's a Romanian rescue who just likes to bark at anything. It's oh. it's actually so hot in the UK at the moment. When he's out for the day, he sleeps during the day, but then he decides in the evening to catch up on any lost barking he might have missed out on. <laughs> well, it's all saved up. He's got to get it out. Yeah, exactly. It's quite dashing. It's a really weird thing. It looks like he's a cut and shut of a dog. <laughs> Like, yeah, you hold him up and it probably just kind of droops down. Like, we think it's part Dushin, but it's all guesswork because, you know, found the side of the road, so what do we know? <laughs> yeah, it's a – if puppies weren't so cute, they'd be dead. We'd have no dogs if there were no cute puppies because you would murder every puppy. That's how annoying they are. No, I'm just going to say this, and anyone can judge me how they will. Like, I was so pleased to, to save him from Romania because over there, if those dogs get found on the side of the road, they get put down and kill shelters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a few moments when he was a puppy where I was like, I sort of see their point. I'm not condoning it, but I sort well, of see Well, you can see. Point. You see where they're coming from. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you've just been <laughs> kept awake all night by him howling at the moon. Yeah. Or then, like, he'll take he'll take a crap in the kitchen floor, and you're like, did you... Okay, you, you crapped in the kitchen floor. That's I, I get that. That's fine. We're potty training you. But did you have to walk through it? Did you have to, oh. like, turn around and then walk directly over top of it and then drag it through the rest of the house? 
I've got a story that can beat that. He, um, we, we kind of crate trained him in the end, which he actually took to really well. But to begin with, we were trying to see if we could get him to settle down in our bedroom like our other dog Dottie does, a Labrador. Right. And uh, he used to delight in just shitting my side of the bed. I don't know why, but for some reason, this was his toilet, he decided. He got in early with that. And one day, I was we, we, we just got the crate set up and we got him into the crate and we were very pleased with ourselves. Like, oh, finally we can relax. I reached my bottle of water I keep by the side of the bed, went to drink, I go, oh no. That that smells a bit and tastes a bit funny, like you know, because you know taste is locked in with smell. Like yeah, your taste is. So I didn't realize this. I was like, smells a bit funny. I I pull it back from my face. There is shit just down the side of the bottle. I must have missed drinking shit by that much. I just missed getting any fecal matter into my mouth. Only for the grace of the lid covering that bit did I not get shit in my mouth. Uh, uh puppies. I swear he gave me a look and winked at that moment as well. That's the worst. <laughs> I swear. I swear. It's like there's more where that came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll see you again tomorrow night, Dad. <laughs> yeah, how are you, sir? I, other than the the hectic morning, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. And you've been you've been doing some homeschooling recently with your kid. You said she said she got on okay. She is it. No, it's a little boy, Colton. He, oh. He's fine. I do my research, me. <laughs> you never know these days. You haven't. You don't. You don't know. Um, yeah, could have changed uh, in the meantime. That's my excuse. It, it could have changed yeah. last week. I don't know. Um, he's doing good. We did uh, remote learning all year. We're in uh, Los Angeles, California, and LAUSD didn't even open up for hybrid schooling until I think April, where they were letting kids come in two two days a week and then remote learning the other three days of the week. So he, we were going to take him back. He was going to go back in uh, April do the hybrid program, but like literally the week before he was supposed to go into school. They had like a COVID outbreak at the school. And we're like, well, we didn't keep him inside for a year to let him go back to a COVID outbreak for one more month of school. So we just kept him at home the rest of the week, the rest of the year. So, but he's fully vaccinated now. So I think we're, hopefully we're in the clear. Uh, you see, I can't think of anything worse. I think I would be telling my kid who, who, by the way, like fully grown adult now. So I feel okay saying this. He was a little shit when he was a kid. And, and like, I mean, I, I've got two kids. Uh, well, so three from from various marriages. They're all stepkids, but like wow, good for you. Well, when I was when I was married before, <laughs> I had two stepkids, and they were young when I kind of uh, started dating their mum. And like, so they're kind of my kids as far as I see. Gotcha. And now I've got a stepkid from my upcoming marriage. So so that's how that works out. But um, my son, as, as so you take on a lot. <laughs> Is what you're I saying. Take I take. A, I just adopt. That's my thing. Don't don't don't. don't uh, so it's not just it's not just dogs. It's people too. Yeah. I just took that as a general rule, basically. Um, but yeah, he was a oh, he was a nightmare when he was in school. He, he he's got autism and like so, you know, part of it you can understand. Mm. Other parts of it, I think it was just him, quite frankly. Uh, but I I just I think it would have been a mixture of that. And if I was homeschooling, I'd have to go and take anything I say with a pinch of salt mind. Yeah. But here we go. Let's give this a go. You know, I right. I, I wouldn't feel clever enough to teach. That's that's what well, I like. Tell you. When everything happened last year, when it all shut down last March it kind of hit the teachers by surprise too. They were unexpected. They didn't know what to do either. So his, his remote learning for fifth grade when he was in fifth grade for like the last month and a half of school was awful because the teachers didn't know what to do. They, they got blindsided like we all did. Um, but they had the whole summer last summer to sort of recoup and get together. And then this year his remote learning was great. He w- he went into his room at like eight 30 in the morning and came out for lunch for an hour and then went back in and came back out at two when school was over. And he got great grades. Uh, the teachers were all, incredible on remote learning like this year has been great like 
finishing up fifth grade was a challenge. We had to be involved because he just wasn't getting anything. He was getting like an hour of education a day. But this past year, the teachers really locked in on how to do remote learning and they got really good at it. And he really excelled this year. So. Oh, well done. That, yeah, because if it was up to me to educate him, he'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I would actually be turning to his sister and just going, Amy, Amy, you do it. You're, you're better than me at this. It's, it's like Bart and Lisa Simpson, like in real life, those two. Yeah, just, you have any questions, ask Alexa or Siri or one of those animated, automated things. They know yeah, the answer. Here's your teacher for today. Yeah. Anyway, let, let's get on to you, sir, in the main. So uh, you grew up in Virginia? Virginia? I uh, did. Like, I grew up on the that? East Coast like, in Virginia, yeah. How was that growing up? Like, did you start in comedy there, or was, was that when you moved to LA? I moved, I graduated, I went to college, I did like the normal thing as a kid, and I graduated college, and then as soon as I graduated college, I moved to California, and that's when I started getting into stand-up comedy and acting, and, you know, eventually that leads to podcasting, because that's what the business has become, so I got into podcasting, and the rest is, you know, sort of history. So what was it like, uh, which drew you out? Was it going to California for those opportunities? In, um, in I'd always wanted to do stand-up comedy. Like, ever since I was a little kid, that's really all I ever wanted to do. Like, I remember watching old stand-up specials on HBO and or sneaking up late at night and watching the comedies, you know, on The Tonight Show, watching, you know, Seinfeld do a five-minute spot on The Tonight Show or something. Like, I, I would watch those guys. Like, that's what I want to do. That looks so much fun to do. And then so... Uh, growing in Virginia, I didn't know how to get into stand-up comedy. I just There's just no way to do it. There's no, like, you know, it's like any other job. You're like, okay, I'll just go, and here's my application. I'll, I'll apply. You'll interview me, and I'll get the job or not. Like, there's no way to get into stand-up comedy like that. It's just sort of like however you can get into it. So uh, Virginia, there was really no open mics that I knew about. I didn't know how to get up on stage in Virginia. So what I did is I, I got into graduate school in California, and I moved to L.A. to go to graduate school. And while I was out here, I was like, I'm going to try this. This is what I've always wanted to do. I'm going to try it. So I just, I took uh, one of those stand-up comedy classes because at the end of the stand-up comedy class, they put you up on stage at the com at the comedy store in right. Hollywood. And uh, that's how, that was the motivator, the thing that sort of like forced me to get on stage. That was like sort of my application process. Like, okay, if I know if I sign up for this class at the end of eight weeks, they're going to put me on stage. So that's how, that's basically why I took the class to get up on stage. Um, and then after that, I finally, you meet other comedians and you learn the, you know, how you get booked in other shows and where the open mics are. And it just sort of goes on from there. But that was the, I don't know, that was the catalyst, I guess, for getting into stand-up comedy was moving to California under the guise of going to graduate school and then sort of uh, taking a stand-up comedy class, which they can be helpful, I guess. They're not, I mean, they're not required <laughs> to get into stand-up comedy, but for me, it was the only way I knew how to get on stage. So, oh, that's wonderful. And did, like, is that all about getting your first ten minutes together, or like, how, yeah, what do they, they show you there? It's sort of like the the class I took was uh, I think I think he still teaches. It's called the Greg Dean Comedy School or something like that. It's here in Los Angeles. It's he's been around for twenty or thirty, th probably thirty years now. And he basically teaches you basic. It's very educational when it, he breaks down joke structure about setup, misdirection, punch, and and he teaches the psychology of a joke, like how. The setup teaches our brains. It teaches the audience, okay, we're going on this one way, and then we take them the other way, and it's that that juxtaposition, that that switch from what we expect to what's given to us that elicits the laughter. So it's sort of the it's you find out why people laugh at things, which was very interesting to me the the, the psychology of laughter, and so he would break down joke structure that way. I don't really use I'm more I'm more a storyteller a lot when I do. Uh, 
stand up, but there is, I do have the elements of the jokes. I get this one joke in my act where I'm like, uh, which it's a perfect example of his, of breaking down joke structure and the unexpected punchline elicits the laughter. I have this uh, joke where I go, uh, my son just lost a tooth this week. Um, and everyone's sort of like, oh, okay, okay. And then I go, yeah, cause he didn't make his bed. And those are the rules. Like that's, that's the, you know, the bait and switch. The sort of like, okay, you guys, oh, he lost his tooth cause he's, uh, a little kid and little kids lose their teeth or whatever. And then I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh no, he lost his tooth. Cause he didn't make his bed and I beat him and he lost his tooth. Like that's the joke that, yeah. that elicits the laughter. So it's sort of like that was educational taking that part of the class to learn why people laugh. Cause at that time I didn't know what was funny and what was not funny. I, I didn't know why people laughed at certain things. Do you remember any of those earlier bits? Oh God. Uh, I used to have one about like I watched like one of those it was like a Maury Povich show or something like that. One of those Jerry Springer shows where they were interviewing some like really overweight person that had gotten stuck in their house. Right. They got right. so, so oh, they large. Take the wall down. Yeah. They had to take the wall down to get the person out of the house. And I was yeah. like, <laughs> I had a joke. I was like, imagine if they ate that cheeseburger that put them over the top when they were outside and then they'd be stuck outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know banging on the garage door let me in like it was like that was i mean i was going when you first start out you make these horrible jokes about the easiest things possible you know to toilet paper you know fat people homeless people like you may you don't realize that you know comedy you're supposed to you're supposed to punch up you're supposed to make fun of the people that need to be taken down not the not the people that are you know that are in need or in need of help you don't yeah. punch at those people so you learn that as you go on but when you first start out you're just trying to get laughs and anything you think is funny you say up there so that was one of those jokes that i did early on i look back i'm like oh that was that was probably not in the best taste to make fun of a person who's morbidly obese i don't know i sort of in a weird way look up to these people i mean i got to 18 stone i pussied out i lost four stone like uh, we got dealing stone over here yeah. i don't know what the equivalent is but like i lost uh, quite a lot of weight yeah like i chicken out too early those guys wait until they can't get through a wall it's amazing i don't I, mean, I can't i can't believe him. and then i think i think i i cap the joke with like he's walking around he eats a cheeseburger and then i did the physical bit of like uh-oh and i fall <laughs> i fall down like that was the last moment i could move i was so big that that last bite made me immobile that's how fat that last bite made me <laughs> So it was like, but you know, you, you, you evolve and then you start talking about, and with standup, you start talking about things like personal to you, like your life. Like I got married and I had a kid. So I start incorporating my own life experience instead of just like reading the newspaper and go, okay, what can I make fun of in here? What can I make fun of in here? If you start, that's when comedy becomes more personal. And I think that's when you get the good stuff. Yeah. I, I, I also imagine, sorry, I, I'm kind of caught up on the fat thing now. I'm sorry. As someone who used to be, like I was technically into morbidly obese, but I was kind of the shallow end of that particular form. Right. But like I think of the shit I was eating at the time. You wonder, it's like, what were they eating? Like I know the crap I was eating. Like how do you get to that? I don't know. Like it's it's a mystery world. I mean, I can eat junk food better than anybody. I mean, but I can't imagine yeah. getting to the point where like you just keep throwing it in, and it's just like, I mean, I guess it's you know it's an addiction like anything else, I suppose. And you just can't control yourself, and I don't know. That seems like a lot of work to get that big. Does it does anyway? It's like so, you've you've done your uh, your uh, stand up class. You've kind of got your ten minutes. How do you kind of go from there into kind of evolving into an hour? Well, we did the uh, 
you know, like they, they do, they, it culminates with your show at the comedy store. And we did my first, so my first time ever on stage was at the comedy store in the belly room, which is the small stage mm. upstairs. And it goes great because it's packed with friends and everything like that, you know. So your first show, usually when you do stand-up comedy, your first show is awesome and you think you're great. You kill because usually you have a lot of friends in there and you you're, you have this nervous energy about you because it's your first time on stage. So you have these what they call laugh ears. So you think everything is, you hear laughs that aren't there. Um, so the first show is always amazing. And it's you realize what comedy is when you do that second show. When you go to that yeah. open mic where nobody knows you and there's four people in the audience and then there's seven other comics waiting to go up and they're just looking at their notepads, reading their jokes, getting ready to go up and no one's paying attention. And then you realize, oh, this is what comedy is. This is where you really learn how to cut your teeth and get good at this. And so you do that. You go to the open mics, you go to the coffee houses and you meet other comics and you find out what other comics book shows and then you try to get on their shows. And then they have this thing called bringer shows where you know, where you, you, you can get stage time if you bring five people and that's how they fill the audience. So you have like, you have like 25 comics all doing three minutes and they've all brought five people. So it's an, it's a four hour show of unfunny people listening to their friends, laugh at them, giving them all this false sense of reality. So it's just, it's just this self-perpetuated thing where these people keep doing comedy that aren't good at comedy because they keep having their audience follow them around. And uh, so once you break out of that cycle of the bringer show and you get into like, okay, I'm being booked at the, the big clubs and I'm being booked on the real shows. And then so you, you, that's when you really start developing your act and you start getting that 10 minutes and you stretch it to 15 and then you do your 30 minute spot and then you finally get up to like 45. And then at that point, hopefully you found a headliner who will take you on the road and let you open for him. And so you're doing feature work outside of Los Angeles or New York, wherever you started, and you're doing feature work in other states or other countries, and you're doing 20 minutes in front of real crowds that when they go out to see comedy, they don't know who the comic is, and they're going out just for a good time. And that's when you really figure out, okay, can I write comedy? Can I, can I write stuff that's not just about Los Angeles traffic and something that everyone in that area can relate to? You go out and you can write things that sort of like, people you've never met, people that don't have common shared experience with you, that you can make them laugh. And that's when you realize, okay, I think I can do stand-up comedy. So it's a, it's a long way to get there, but yeah. that's how that's how you figure out if you can do it. I mean, it seems like the first threshold is, like, if you're at one of those gigs where you each bring five friends, if you can hear a sixth person laughing, you made yeah. it. Like, that's a good start, you know? If you can get some stranger to come up to you after they should go, oh, that bit was really funny, then you're like, oh, okay, I did it. Because when your friends yeah. say that was funny, you're like, okay, oh, well, I'm glad that's why you're here. You're supposed to say that. And do you remember, like, who was the uh, first person you kind of went on tour with? Oh, oh, uh, I, I, the first guy that really took me out for a long time. I'd gone out before, but the guy that took me on the road for a while was uh, uh, Ian Bag. I don't know if you've heard of him or not before. He's a, no. he's a really, he works a lot. He's from Canada, but he works all over the place, and he's a. Uh, He's a very he's a crowd work comedian. Like his show is different every single time. Like he gets up and he sort of talks to the audience and he has his set bits or whatever. He set jokes, but he weaves them in and out of doing this amazing crowd work where by the end of the show, you know, the entire audience and he's calling back things at the end of his show that people said at the beginning of the show. And it's it's a it's a it's a crazy experience to watch him. And I learned a lot being on the road with him about how to deal with the unknown, which is what comedy is. Comedy is like. People try to get up 
like I've had a lot of friends who tried to start stand-up comedy and they're all like, I got it. I got it. I'll do it in six months. I'm going to write this five minutes and I'll get up in six months. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work because you can't write a perfect set. There's no, you just need to get up and fail. You need to get up in that open yes. mic with those four audience members there that aren't paying attention and fail and then keep doing that and keep doing that because that's how you get better at it. Because comedy is not like this. I've written five minutes. I'm going to do it. They're all going to laugh and we get down. That's not how it works. Comedy is a, you're flying a plane through a shit storm and every single set, you got to try to land that plane and then, or you're going to, or you crash, you either land the plane or you crash. Every stand up set is like that. Uh, and the more you do it, the better you get, the more you land the plane. You, there's always that chance you're going to crash that plane every single set, no matter how you've been doing it 25 years, doesn't matter. You can still crash that plane, but, the more times you do it, the better your chances are of landing that plane. Because it's always a shitstorm. Comedy is always a shitstorm. And it's just about being experienced enough to be able to land that plane every time. Yeah. And like it seems like the, the biggest challenge is when a stand-up comedian absolutely tanks, which can be just in the eyes of like you can have the best routine, which kills everyone yeah. else just on that one night, though. It can just go nowhere. And you've just got to get through that out. That just seems like such an endurance thing to me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, comedy, first of all, is subjective. So you you do find those audiences that don't find things funny that you find funny. Um, but the thing is, as a comedian, you you can't be affected by it. You're the one with the microphone. You're the you're the you have the power in the room and you cannot give that power away to the people in the audience. And the minute they you give them that power, they don't give it back and they can <laughs> sense it because the audience is a living organism. It's one giant living organism. It's you and that giant organism. So it's not it's not a bunch of individuals. It's a it's a big thing. And you have to go up and, and sort of attack it as this big, giant living thing in front of you. And you have to tame it and you have to control it. Um, and that's part of the challenge of stand up comedy. And there's always those unruly people, a couple drunk people in the crowd that will disrupt the show. But for the most part, that audience is there to have fun and be entertained. And most of the time you can get them on your side and sort of ostracize the, that rowdy drunk person and they will leave or shut up. Um, but that's part of the trick of comedy is sort of trying to tame that wild animal that is the audience. And you do get those audiences that don't like you or don't think you're funny, but you just, you, you acknowledge the reality of the moment and you keep going forward. If you can't, you, you can't get up there and just keep doing your jokes and not acknowledging that this audience is not liking what you're doing. And then you sort of try to find a way to, you know, get something out of them because you know you as a comic you you'd rather have them boo you than than just sit there with their arms arms crossed and indifference indifference is the killer you don't want indifference you either want them laughing or like hating you like one of the two yeah i mean it's just when you hear about like uh comedians back in the day and i'm sure it's still to this day but like bill hicks springs to mind where he used to do longer sets the more they hated on him so yeah. if he got an audience which annoyed him he'd go right you're gonna sit here for another 10 minutes listening yeah to me. i'm gonna i'm gonna, gonna i'm gonna drive you crazy <laughs> yeah. and, and and but he they were engaged with him because i sat there if they were indifferent they'd get up and walk away so in a way he's sort he's succeeding because he's engaged him to the point where he's like and these people hate me so much, they're willing to sit through this. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, um, it's crazy. Yeah, and in 2004, you uh, went to the Montreal Comedy Festival where you won the top new faces. I, uh, you won yeah, the, top new faces. But the, 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 the business used to be a lot different. Like in the 80s and 90s, there was the Montreal Comedy Festival, which is the biggest comedy festival in the world. It's like a world famous 
it's like the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It's one of those top, humongous, big festivals. Yeah, that yeah Just for a, Laughs um, was on every year when I was a kid. Yeah, um, it's huge. Used to catch on Channel 4 over here. It's enormous. And it used to be the gateway to get into the business. Like, as a comedian starting out, you wanted to get new faces. You wanted to be selected as one of the top new faces that year. And I think at the time when I did it, they only selected 20 comics a year from all over the world to go to Montreal to be a new face. Um, and so in 2004, I guess I'd been doing stand-up at that time for like six years, six or seven years, which is still technically a new face. Um, and yeah, I, I showcased and I got it. And that was like, at the, at the time, it's like, that was like a humongous honor to be selected because it was not easy to get into that festival and it was very selective. And then, like I said, there was only 20 comics from all over the world that got to be a new face. Uh, now they've done it. It's now they've sort of evolved to the point where like Montreal has like new faces uh, represented. So it's new faces with agents and then it's new faces unrepresented. So it's new faces that don't have agents. Then it's got new faces characters. So it's new faces comics that only do characters. Like they've divided up into all these different groups. So they've expanded the pool to like, I don't know. There's probably a hundred now. I don't know what it is, but used to, it used to be, if you were one of the funniest 20 pe new people that they've discovered in the, in, in that year, you got accepted in the festival. And if you got into the festival new face, that was sort of like, you've made it, you're in the business now. And it wasn't that way when I got in 2004, it was sort of like in the nineties, if you got in as a new face, you got a development deal with some studio or some network like that. You were making money as a comedian right away. You were like, they signed you to some sort of development deal. Um, that kind of went away in like the late nineties, early two thousands when like they were, mm. they realized they were giving deals out to 20 comics a year. And it was just a big waste of money because like <laughs> 19 of those comics you never hear from again. So they're just throwing money away. So the, the business changed a lot at that time. And that was sort of the internet kicked around at that time. YouTube started coming around. So the, like everything started evolving to me in this more, it wasn't sort of clubs anymore and festivals and studios and networks. You get, you had this whole new landscape of the internet, which sort of changed everything. So companies stopped giving money out, stopped, studios stopped throwing development deal money out in the early 2000s. So by the time I got into Montreal, they weren't throwing out money anymore. Um, so I, I missed out on that part, but the, the, the idea that I got into the Montreal comedy festival then was still pretty prestigious, still pretty cool to be accepted in to be one of those top 20 comics that year. So, yeah, it's, a, it was, still amazing. Just yeah. sucks that you're a few years late for the money. I, was, the I just missed just, like the good part, the good part where I would have made money. <laughs> like five years story, out by the sun. It's the story of my life. Does it like though? I mean, I'm, I assume it still changes the status and kind of the rooms you can book and things like that. Like, did you get some back end from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I like you go up there and it's all industry. You're doing. It's weird because it's the it's the. It's the weirdest set you'll ever do in your life. You go up and you do like a seven minute set in front of mostly industry crowd. It's mostly agents and bookers and casting directors and people from all over the world that are in show business, but on the on the business side, on the buyer size is what they call it. The gate the gatekeepers, I guess. And yeah. So you're up there doing your seven minute set nervous because there are people in Montreal that go for the laughs, they go for the festival, but in the back room where it's all dark, we, you, the audience is up front and then the back is all dark and they all have these pins with lights on them because they're taking notes the whole time you're up there. So they have these they have these little pins that you click and there's a light on the tip of the pin so they can see the paper so they can write in the dark, right? 
So you're sitting there, you're doing your seven minute set, trying to make these people in front of you laugh, but in the back, it looks like there's a bunch of fireflies floating around the room. It's not like they've, they've brought lighters out. Like yeah, you've done it really looks like a bunch of lighters, but they're not there because they're enjoying the show and they want you to play Freebird <laughs> one more time. They're there because they're taking notes about you. So every yeah. time you see that little light bounce around after you tell a joke, someone's writing about you. And you see like a hundred of them in the back of the room and you're like, that, that is a big, big mind fuck. Like a humongous mind fuck while you're trying to And perform. did they appreciate your rendition of uh, Freebird? Did they fuck? <laughs> they did. They did. They really like my Freebird. I have a really oh, good Freebird. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a mind it's a mind fuck. It's 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 crazy. But like you you go up there and it's not so much about the set that you do. It's a lot about hanging out at the after parties and meeting the people and you make the connections. Like I met a lot of people there that eventually led to me getting TV spots a couple years later. Like you because the whole business is a relationship business. It's all relationships. And so you meet people and you develop these relationships over time. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I got a spot on Comedy Central because of some people I'd met yeah. in 2004 at Montreal. And then 2007, I got on the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson because of oh. someone I'd met. So it was just sort of like, oh, yeah. I'm just such a big fan of Craig Ferguson. He actually, first time I saw him was on a show over here called Red Dwarf, which is like the sci-fi show, uh, like sci-fi comedy. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of was just playing this bit part, but absolutely fantastic comedian over here. I felt like the odds were always against him getting a show in America. It was just a fluke of luck, and it was yeah. so different to anything you've got on late night, uh, still yeah. to this day, in the States. He was brilliant. Uh, how, how was it going on his show? It was just so bizarre. Like uh, It was very. It was even more bizarre than what you think, because uh, the way they shot the Late Late Show back then with Craig Ferguson is he was still doing active stand-up, so he would go out of town on the weekends to go do stand-up. So he would not uh, he would record uh, two shows on Thursday. I believe it was I, I've tried this a while ago. I'm trying to remember how he recorded. He would record two shows on Thursday and then have Friday off because he would travel and do stand up Friday, Saturday around the country. Right. And then he'd come back and do Monday through Thursday and record his the late, late show. But on Thursday, he would record two shows and then they would have. <laughs> but they recorded for like three weeks down the line. They didn't record day of like if you go to the if you went ever, ever sat in the Tonight Show, they record day of live to tape. Like they do the show, they record like five o'clock in the afternoon for an hour straight, like they're doing the real show. And then they do many, maybe some small edits and small tweaks. They take breaks as they're doing it, like for commercials, they'll cut for commercial breaks where the commercials get inserted. And then later they just air it at 11 PM or 1130 that night. And that's called live to tape. They shoot it like they're doing it live. Yeah. Uh, that show shot, they would shoot it and they would stop and they would start, and they would stop and they'd start. And then they would bring comics on that they were going to do <laughs> like... They book like three comics at a time and they would bring all the comics on and we all do our sets and then they would ch cut us out and they would just put us into different shows wherever they wanted us. Like the show I did, Craig Ferguson wasn't on set. He introduces me. You see, if you watch the video of me doing the Craig Ferguson show, he's like, hey, I want to be com comedian Eddie Pence, everybody. And then it it's he's at the desk and it cuts to me walking out on stage and I like wave at him like he's there. And then I go <laughs> and I do my set. Right. And then I leave. But he's not there. He'd already left. I was in the I was in the wings of the studio getting ready to go on. And he walks out. He walks past me. He's like, hey, have fun out there. And they walked and he got on an elevator and flew to wherever he was going. And then us, the other three comics I was with, we all went out and did our sets. And I think I recorded sometime in May of that year. And it, they aired it in June. And they just cut me into whatever show they needed a comic for. It's very weird. And it's like it's because uh -huh. any other show you're there with the host and everything. It's very strange. Was the pantomime horse there at least? 
Yes. <laughs> he, used to have... he had that he had that skeleton guy too, the with the mohawk. Yes. I just loved it. It just seemed uh it's a sort of an anarchic kind of show, which usually just it would ne- again it would never get on late night. Yeah, I think it, it helped that it was buried at 12.30 at night. Um, but I love that yeah. show. It was my favorite late night show. Oh, I know. Like, nothing against Jane Corden, per se. But, like, just nothing like that. No, no, nothing yeah. like that. It was yeah. You didn't know what was going to happen. His monologues were amazing. Another one which he worked with, which uh, another fantastic kind of uh, his own thing comedian, uh, Lewis Black, uh, for Surviving the Holidays. Yeah, there was a this this is another thing where again I worked with someone that I never got to meet. <laughs> and, um, they did this, they did this thing where uh, again this uh, like a connection I had made in Montreal years ago paid off like three four years later. I think we did Surviving the Holidays like two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I forgot what the year was, and they were doing this thing where Lewis Black had this sh- like one hour thing on the History Channel about surviving the holidays with your in-laws or parents or whatever and so it was they would just interview different comedians about aspects of i think it was thanksgiving or different holidays like that and it was just like one of those things where they would call you in and you'd be behind this white background and they would talk to you and you'd answer questions you'd tell some jokes talk about the history of thanksgiving in america and how you don't really know the true meaning or true history of thanksgiving it's much different than what you learn in school and so we did all that and then they cut it together like Lewis Black was doing a show with all of us. But it's not the way it was at all. They just called me down there. I did it and I left. I never met anybody on the show. Nice. Like um, I had this so other, yeah, you... <laughs> they have this other thing on the History Channel they did with Lewis Black, too. They called me back in because I guess they liked what I did. And it was called The History of the Joke, where they talked about the history of the joke. And this was another bit where I got to go in. I, I did... They were doing different types of comedy bits. And I did I had this physical bit that I would do. And uh, so they're talking about physical comedy. So they put my bit in there and then but they had George Carlin intro it. So it looks like oh, wow. if you're watching the show, I worked with George Carlin. <laughs> I didn't. I never met George Carlin. I was, but it looked but it's a crowd. Like, hey, yeah, I was on a show with George Carlin. You've almost worked with some of the best. <laughs> yes, I've almost worked with some. If you look at my IMDb page, it looks like I worked with some legends. All I'm going to say is George Carlin was there. I was there. Yeah. Anything else we don't need to go into. Prove me that, wrong. That's all you need to know. Prove me wrong. Uh, let's talk some Ralph Report, of course. Uh, so how did you first meet Ralph? Um, doing stand-up comedy. Again, it, like I said, it's a relationship business. It's all it's, all it's ever going to be. It's all it's ever been. Uh, I was just doing stand-up comedy at the old John Lovitz Comedy Club at Universal City, where they right. used to do Hollywood Babylon all the time. And uh, I would be performing the sh- the eight o'clock show, and Babylon would come on at ten, right? And then like mm. it was weird because stand-up shows there got no audience. Like you'd be performing in front of those four angry people that don't watch you. It was like doing an open mic all over again. But Babylon, of course, there was a line around the block waiting to get in for Babylon. So I'm like, what is this show? where there's a thousand people waiting to get in for this recording a podcast. Why are people, this isn't, what is going on? And so I would stick around and watch. I'm like, oh, this is funny. This is, oh, it's Kevin. I knew Kevin Smith was, and I'd heard of Ralph before. Cause I, I'm in LA and I, you'd hear him on the radio um, back at, at, that, at that time, but I didn't know. Him. I didn't Yeah, K rock. I didn't know who he was. Yeah. I just knew he was on the radio. And so I watched, I was like, oh, this is hilarious. This is really funny. Um, and as a comedian, you hang out at the club. That's what you do. And you meet other comedians. And I met Ralph there. And I met um, at the time, the booker of the comedy club was Gabby. Her name was Gabby. And she later on became uh, Ralph's assistant at K-Rock, or assistant, personal assistant after she left the comedy club. 
But before that, I was going to headline a weekend at uh, Hollywood, uh, at, at the Lovitz Club. I was going to be the headliner that weekend. And Gabby's like, I know Ralph. He works at K-Rock. I book him for Hollywood Babylon. Let me see if I can get you on K-Rock to help promote the show to try to get people in the door or whatever. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. Thanks. Um, so she did. She, she, Ralph trusted her opinion with comedians. Um, so Ralph got me into the Kevin and Bean show on the, on the, uh, on the, the morning show there on K rock. And I promoted the weekend and we had a good time on the radio and, uh, I would see him, you know, every other weekend at the comedy club, but he was doing Babylon. I was doing stand up, and we just became friends that way. And then I would just hang out and then they moved to the improv and I do stand up the improv. And we just, it was just one of those things where we would just hang out we would talk and have a good time and make fun of people. And, you know, you know, break each other's balls like we do on the show. And that's, it's just, that's sort of, that's the rapport we've always had. And, um, you know, he went through that terrible spell where he got, you know, let go from K-Rock and all that, all that crap. And he started his own show. And I was always, I'd always talk to him about the Ralph report. Like I'd see him after Babylon or whatever. I'm like, Hey, how's the show going? He's like, it's going great. It's going great or whatever. And then really out of the blue, I'm literally getting ready to stand up at a burlesque show in front of four people, these same four angry people that keep following me around, not liking me. And I'm doing this show and I get this text and it's, it's Ralph. And he's like, Hey, do you want to, you want to come in and co-host the Ralph report with me? I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And he's like, well, listen to the show first and see if you want to do it. I'm like, no, I want to do it. <laughs> like, I, like, I didn't even, I was like, yeah, of course <laughs> I'll do it. He's like, listen to it and find out if you want to do it. I'm like, I know I'm going to do it. And then we, that was like our first argument. And I was like, no, I'm going to come in and do it. You can't stop me now. You already asked. And so I came in and I, we recorded one show and the, the general response was positive. Uh, I, there was definitely some people that didn't like me, which I'm used to cause it's comedy and, uh, you know, it's sort of like it's all history from there, I guess. I think my favorite one was, uh, we actually had, uh, Steve Ashton and Carrie on, um, yeah. uh, promoting Holistic Buffet the other week. And, uh, I've, I've spoken to Steve before and he told me that he was still subscribed to the Ralph report, I, as far as I know, he still is. Like when he got the job, it's like he goes, "So he's not even paying me. I'm paying him to be on his show. So come on, like yo, I'm, I'm subscri I, I, subscri I subscribe to the Ralph report too. <laughs> so you guys pay him? How does he do this? This is quite the voodoo. He's got he's amazing. On. He's an amazing businessman. Oh, he he does pay me, but I also subscribe to the Ralph report. Um, I just because I just when I first started, I'm like, I want to hear what what's going on. I want to be able to read the yeah. comments and get the feedback. And at the time, I I I was so new to it, I didn't want to ask him, Hey, can I can you hook me up and give me the free Ralph report? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he would have. I'm sure Carrie would have done it. Oh, I God, just, yeah, yeah, definitely. I just didn't even ask. I was like, it's three bucks a month, and I'll just pay the three bucks a month. I don't, you know, it's not. I'm not, you know, I'm not a four star. I'm, I'm a one star. So it's just oh. like I'll I'll just do it. I just wanted to see what the feedback was. And I got a lot of good feedback. I mean, I there was negative feedback, but I, I would read the comments to, at the beginning and go, okay, this is people sort of like this about the show. People are not liking this about the show. Um, not people making fun of me and stuff. That's that's my job. I get that. But there are people like, I, I remember reading one comment where one lady was like, this one hit me. This was like after doing a week of the show. She's like, I don't really want to listen to two guys agree about everything. And I was like, okay, because I guess that first week, I mean, Ralph and I were very simpatico on a lot of our opinions and everything. So right. I'm like, okay. So I took that to like hard a little bit. I'm like, okay, how, what can I do to make this a little more interesting? So I was like, all right, I'll just start taking some, you know, <laughs> some opposite views of him just to make it interesting. Cause that's what, that's why I was brought in to begin with to give Ralph that foil to be dickhead Ralph and yell at me. That's, that's the point of the show, right? Like that's what people love about Ralph. That's why they'd like him on Babylon. That's why I like them on K-Rock. They like angry agitated ralph 
finally it makes sense why you came in your second week and told him to go fuck himself at the top right, of the show. Exactly. Now I get I just... it. Now I get it. <laughs> See, it all makes it sense. Seemed extreme now. at the time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I figure out that's what. Okay, okay, I'll just do that. I'll just, you know, and then I can. Most of the opinions are my own, but I, I'll heighten everything to a certain degree to make it interesting and something you can debate and talk about. But, you know. It really did, for me, feel like that was when the show came into its own. Because obviously, Ralph is so polished that he can just talk to himself on a show yeah. for, like, as long as he needs to. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the bits were all there. But, like, I think just having someone play off like like you two do just yeah. um, brought it to life in some way. No, I, I agree, too. I mean, like, that that's why pe people love that aspect of Ralph. They love him having an opinion about something, but then having someone he can argue that opinion to. Like... You know, yeah. you can have the you can have Ralph giving his monologue or just doing it talking about it for 40 minutes, but he you want someone to like <laughs> to poke him a little bit to heighten his anger about it, you know. Now, is is it true? Like, is it played up at all? Your uh, limited food palette, shall we put it? <laughs> it's, it's played up a little. No, I look, I'm one of those people, I don't really care much about food. Like, food is not something that occupies more than two minutes a day in my head. Like I get hungry. I'm like, oh, I should eat. And then I eat something and then I go on with my day. I know other people like my like my father-in-law thinks about every meal he's going to have that day when he wakes up. Like they he plans it out. Like I know people that plan out like, oh, we'll have this for lunch. Oh, this will be a great dinner. Oh, I can't wait to have this for dinner. Like I don't have that in me. I just don't care. I see food as fuel. And when I need it, I eat it. And then when I don't need it, I don't think about it. Yeah. Right. And then, but I know there's people that plan out their whole weeks of meals. Like they do that. Like food is important to people. I get that. It's not important to me. As long as I have food and I can eat and I'm not starving, I'm fine with it. So I don't really care about elaborate meals and having like seven or eight flavors in this dish that just ex explode in your mouth and make, you know, like I don't care about any of that. I just, I just want to eat something so I'm not hungry anymore. So it makes, yeah. it makes no sense to me to prep for three hours a meal and that's going to take me 10 minutes to eat like i don't see the point in that so i guess uh, do i'm the self-help tapes where i can listen to you saying this stuff and somehow because boy do i like they they didn't have to take down the wall but they measured it up a couple of times when i was at my fattest so. <laughs> i know i'm the odd bird when it comes to that but like i that's the way i look at food i've always looked at food that way i love sweets i love a, i love a nice ice cream sundae sure but i don't think about it all day I'll be like, oh, Sunday would be good right now. So I'll go to Baskin Robbins or an ice cream shop and I'll have a Sunday and I'll eat it and then I'll move on with my day. But like, I know some people fixate on food. I just don't have whatever that mechanism is in your brain. I don't have it. Uh, like, well, while we're on the subject of the Ralph Report, by the way, guys, uh, please go to the Ralph Report on Patreon. You can sign up now. As Eddie's put with his flash three bucks a month money, uh, you can just you can enter at a low tier or you can go up to four star general. Some wonderful perks to be had. Uh, please do check it out. Great show. But uh, Eddie, how was it doing the uh, live shows? Because they just look like such fun. I love it when Steve comes out in his outfits and you guys. The just live show. Live shows are interesting because it's a way different dynamic than the regular show because the regular show is just Ralph and I. And so we have a certain chemistry and a certain we have our we know each other's you know, our beats and our, our timing is down a certain way because it's two people. Um, but when you have the live show, it's weird because one, we're not facing each other. So we're not looking at each other, we're, but we're sitting there facing the audience. So timing off a little bit. Um, and then you throw in Carrie and Steve, who we're not all, we never four do a show together ever, except for the live shows. So it it's a way different dynamic. So it's, it's kind of, 
<laughs> if you've ever been to the live show or watched the live stream of the live show, the video of it, yeah. it can be a clusterfuck. It can be because <laughs> there's alcohol involved and Steve's drunk and Ralph's been drinking and Carrie's drunk. Like, it's just everyone's it's a clusterfuck. It's a fun. It's a it's controlled chaos, but it's a fun. It's a fun clusterfuck. It's just different than the actual shows because our, everything is different. There's the timing's different. We have four people there and people you've never been on stage with before. It's it's odd. It's a different feel. It's a different feel of the show. I like it. It's but it's different. Yeah, I, I think it wouldn't be like what what keeps it fun is that they're kind of every now and again, and they are so completely different. And yes. Of course, with the power of live, uh, you never know what's going to go on in front right. of a live audience. And out there. those shows, if you can ever see one live, that's the way to see them in the audience because they're they're much. It, I would I would imagine it's a much different experience watching it live as watching it on video. Yeah, I missed you guys when you came over to. I don't know. Did did you come over with the? Uh, I didn't. Live they, one uh, in London. They did a no. They did Babylon over there. Him and Kevin Smith at Babylon. And oh I think yeah, Steve, yeah. Same problem. Steve followed them yeah. around. I think Steve did a couple like shooting some video for them and stuff. But we they didn't do a Ralph report. Oh, I thought he did a live one in London. Yeah. My, my mistake. Yeah, he wants to. I think he would like to. I just don't know. It's got to be financially feasible to sell out enough venues to make the trip to take everybody over there to make it worth it. Like with Babylon, you know, you're going to sell out because Kevin Smith is, you know, he's got fans all over the world and he'll pack the Babylon will pack the theaters. But uh, Ralph, Abort, I just I do, we have uh, the Garmies die hard, but I don't know if you can pack, you know, eight, eight theater shows in the span of two days around London or around England or wherever it is, or wherever they want to go to make the financially it worth it to come all the way over. That's probably the whole. Of course. Uh, the other thing, of course, we have to talk about is your unspecial comedy special, which is available now on video and album. Uh, I did have this bed and I've lost it. <laughs> when it, when it, when it, this would be so impressive at eddiepence.com. I can't just say that. I didn't need the car on. No, it looks better with the graphic. It looks nice. Doesn't I like the font. Uh, the, what I love about this is now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I'm picturing is because, like, usually when you get these comedy specials, you can see it's kind of framed in a certain way. You can tell, like, marketing people have been involved. On yep. the cover of your picture, uh, your picture, it's you in front of a monument as your penis, <laughs> and it's got you dressed up as Han Solo all over the joint. This is what happens when a comedian's left to his own devices. Am I right here? Yeah, I, there's nobody involved with me. I, I, I had all the final say. That's the problem. The problem was we were in D.C. shooting that, like all the out exterior stuff. And we're like, oh, I want to get that shot of me laying there with the Washington Monument as my penis. And literally, yeah. I had to wait in line because there was like seven other people do, taking that picture. Because there's, there's one spot you can lay there on the mall in Washington to make it look perfect. And there was literally like seven other tourists lined up taking that photo. Like they were all laying there on the ground. I'm like, okay, well, this is real original. I love that there's a line to take. A yeah, that's like with the uh, Washington Monument. That's, that's America. That's America. USA, baby. Never change, guys. Never but change. I, I like to think there's a similar queue at the Piccadilly, like in front of the uh, statue of Trafalgar. Like on the... <laughs> But yeah, second, yeah. But yeah, I was left up to my own devices to do that special, and I, I through the you know the the charity and the goodwill of the Garmy and some of my other fans I've accumulated over twenty years of stand up, I was able to raise enough money to do it. Um, of course, looking back, there's things I would have done differently, um, but I'm I'm proud of what we did, and it, I'm happy with it, and I can't wait to do another one. 
Fantastic. And uh, it's out, and as I say, available now on video and audio version. Yeah, you can get the audio um, video wherever you buy, wherever you, transactional platforms, iTunes, all, you know, app, Google store, wherever you can buy things, you can buy it there. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream it for free. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, definitely going to give that one a listen later. Uh, I thought we'd just have a bit of fun at the end of this. Uh, uh, we, I, I have put together some food items or some challenges, and this is would you rather, basically. Okay, all right. Okay, so, so would you rather eat a haggis, which as a reminder for anyone who's not familiar, is sheep's intestines in, in its own sack, uh, a lovely Scottish dish, uh, or be called rainbow unicorn sparkles all day and you can't explain it until the day's out you've just got to insist any meeting you're going i'm sorry from now on i will be called rainbow unicorn sparkles you can explain to them the next day but for that day no matter what you're doing um, you are rainbow like, unicorn sparkles. i've never had true haggis we had haggis on the uh, live ralph report ralph fed me haggis but he had uh, uh american haggis which you can't get true haggis because of our fda over here so i think oh, it, it was missing and you it was missing it some pieces so I could eat real, I could eat the fake haggis. The ha fake haggis wasn't too bad. So if I doused it in ketchup, I think I could get it down. Real but haggis, you could eat the whole thing or rainbow unicorn sparkles. I think I might want to call it rainbow unicorn sparkles. Then eat the real haggis. <laughs> you know that worse. would be on the day when you're pitching like a special to Netflix. Oh, with my luck. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be the, the first time I get a Tonight Show spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the, both your sparkle. name, yeah, 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 your name and the name of the special, Rainbow Unicorn Sparkles, it's all done. Again, the next one is, uh, you may have heard of this famous uh, coffee, which is uh, put through the intestines of the cat, comes out of the cat's poo, what? and they pick out, this is a genuine coffee, I, I haven't got the name of it here, but there is genuine coffee, they sell for tons of money in uh, far off countries. What's gone through the, the stomach of a cat, it softens the beans, so apparently it makes the most lovely coffee, but they pick it out of the shit to make it. Genuine thing, I've not so made this up. They feed coffee beans to a cat and then let the cat shit out the beans yeah. and then make the coffee that out of the cat shit much beans. What happens. It, it's actually uh, featured in the film Bucket List, if you ever catch that. Um, would you like to do that or let your kid make all your decisions for a day? Anything. Oh, they I think I, I would let Colton decide everything for me. Yeah. Okay. By, yeah. Before you catch, day, it coffee, catch it, coffee. Yeah. Okay. I would definitely have Colton tell me what to do. Okay. This next one, it's it's a fairly light one, actually. This. Uh, have you ever heard of black pudding? No. It's what, basically the offal from a pig made into this kind of like little hockey puck. Comes out black. Why? Why is that a thing? To be honest with you, honest with you I'm a vegan now, uh, but I used to find this delicious. And I've actually found vegan black pudding. I was the only person requesting this, by the way. I, I was fairly, fairly sure, but it exists. Uh, you can do that, or you've got to watch um, five hours of Fox News. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. That's a Sophie's choice. Oh, God. Right yeah. I'd probably eat the pudding because it'd be over quicker. <laughs> yeah. The five hours of Fox News, I don't think I could bear. Yeah, I, I, would I the, almost I would want to say it's like pudding. I almost want to go four hours, three hours, two hours. <laughs> like, what's your breaking point? Maybe I could maybe get to an hour, but that would be tough. 
Yeah. Because then again, yeah. you don't know after five hours if if they've if they've hypnotized you or not. You don't know after five hours. Like you're right, they do need to build the wall. Like you don't know if like you're, you don't know if you're going to be brainwashed in five hours or not. Like how many hours does it take a viewer to get brainwashed by them? It must. I don't know. I don't know what the cutoff is. I don't want to take my chances. <laughs> We've got next up um, cleaning out the elephant enclosure at the zoo for a week. Oh God. Or. Now, do you have the program I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in the States? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I've seen so, it, but I think I've heard it. They have loads of different trials which, which involve eating parts of animals. And one of the things they eat on there is eating a kangaroo's anus. So week of the elephant enclosure or kangaroo's anus is, is your, your choice now. How many hours a day is cleaning the elephant dung? I mean, you, you're putting in a good day's work, so 10-hour day. I, I could imagine they work overtime on that. I'm... Uh, <laughs> this is tough. And ironically, it, the elephants have also been eating kangaroo's anus. Just, just to make it weirder. Is it is, is the anus washed and clean and cooked? Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, not, look, look, I'm I not ripping out a raw anus. <laughs> Oh, just because of the time commitment, I might eat the anus. I just, I don't have, I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might muscle down the anus just because I don't have the time. I also love the phrase muscle down the anus. I will have to, I will have to that anus. If anyone's listening than to that and just taking that. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. I was going to say, if anyone took the audio from this, just from that little segment. Always better muscle down than in an anus. Yeah. And finally, you have to spend a week shadowing a former Vice President Pence, uh, your surname oh, sake, yes. nice uh, calling him father all day. Not to do with your surname, just the fact that he likes to be called mother and father for him and his wife. Um, and you, you like any kind of pro ch pro choice, anti-gay, any like thing he's going to, you you shadow him for a week. Oh, or you have to go Indiana Jones on this and monkey brain. Ooh. Chill like monkey brain. I the whole brain. Chill monkey brains. It's coming out of the fresh from the head. And I gotta eat the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you vomit, you've got to have another one. But that's versus a week. And like no matter what batshit, like he's probably still going to, to interviews and saying how nice Trump really was because he fucking never learns. Like he, he tries oh, to get him killed, he's still fuck. praising the man. Oh, I may have to go with monkey brains. I don't know if I could be around that guy for a week. Yeah. Without beating the shit like out of him. Without actually physically <laughs> harming him. I don't know if I could be around him for a week. And then I would get in trouble. Because, I mean, look, I haven't thought about these rules too much, but I, sh I it has to include you not arguing with him when he's making speeches. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could be, be quiet at a rally when he's saying stupid shit. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. And would there be any of your tongue? bloodied as it is left after biting it that hard. Yeah, I'll, I'll do less damage to myself if I eat the monkey brain. Seth, thank right. you very much. That That's, that's it for now. Uh, like, those um, are tough, dude. Those are lose-lose situations. All of those. I know, but like I thought no they've winner. already got you trying so many things. How can I help oh. the ante? This, is, this was the only way. <laughs> Seth, uh, in a minute um, uh, we're going to wrap things up. But first of all, what have you got coming up? Where can people see you live? All that good stuff. Um, right now, everything is still sort of opening up around uh, Los Angeles. Um, if you're in LA, just I'll 
it was when I get a show, I'll post about it on my social medias, which if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter is at Eddie Pence. Um, I usually, if I have a show, I post there immediately. Um, right now I don't have anything set up, but like here in town, it changes weekly. You get, you get a call on Tuesday to do a spot on Friday. So it can change at any moment. Uh, I'm not going on the road right now. I haven't gone. I don't have anything lined up around the country or in the world yet. Um, so I'm not doing anything there. I'm just sort of right now. I'm just podcasting on the Ralph Report um, and just doing a couple things in town, trying to get my. Uh, I have another show, old show I was I used to do called Swings and Misses, which was a sort of a sports comedy podcast. Uh, we're trying to get that relaunched, so we're working on that right now too. So fantastic! And please do guys check out EddiePence.com. Yes, uh, just because if I write a car on, I'm going to use it twice. Oh, absolutely, you should. <laughs> So we've got um, a, an interview with uh, a fabulous Canadian comedian Tony Law going out this week. So uh, on our radio show, which is 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. on the Bear Live, if anyone cares to catch it, that's UK time. Please look up local listings. Uh, so this will be going out next Thursday. But when it does, we like to play a track uh, requested by our guests. So is, is there anything you'd like to hear uh, going out of this interview on the radio? Oh, from what we just talked about, this whole experience? You can either do it about that. You can just pick something you like. Like if there's a monkey brain yeah, song pick... or kangaroo anus tune you like, fine. <laughs> you didn't have to theme it, but you can. Um, I don't. I, I'm trying to think of highlights from this show. I had I had some fun, fun, yeah. fun stuff on this show. Um, I need to talk about. I think I don't know if people find it interesting. Maybe the how to get into stand up comedy. What stand up comedy is about. How you do that in that that area, or maybe I don't know. I, I was I'm just thinking horrible... of a music track. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, I get, I, sorry, I understand what you mean. I thought you were trying to theme your song in to something we talked about. It's like, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty general with music. I could, whatever. What, what do you normally play? What do people normally request? Well, play ACDC, something from ACDC. I'll do ACDC. A bit of Back in Black? Back in Black. Perfect. Fantastic. Which themes into Lewis Black? There, we have themes. There you there. go. Perfect. See, I figured it out. The same thing is, when I ask this, it can be really interesting because I can either get some wonderful stuff which I know, some wonderful stuff I don't know, or some utter shit some guests have. I, I must admit, there's there's been some bollocks which some people have recommended, but but we like to keep our guests happy. So I'm very happy to play. For the people listening on the radio, this has been Eddie Pence. Please now enjoy uh, Back in Black by ACDC. Nice. Hi, this is Bill Obers Jr., and you're listening to The Dr. Squeeze Show here on The Bear. Stay tuned. Don't leave. Don't make me go all creepy on your ass. That was 
the voice himself, Pavarotti with Ness and Dorma. Now, I promised you three football tracks, and that's your third for tonight. So before that, we've heard uh, Delamitri, Don't Come Home Too Soon, which was uh, the Scottish uh, World Cup song of some year, which I don't remember. And, of course, three lines from uh, Badil Skinner and the Lightning Seeds, that amazing track uh, which we kind of get inspired by every time when England managed to just mess it up at some point. But hopefully, hopefully this year it is actually coming home. And uh, prior to hearing Ness and Dorma, we did hear Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys. And that's going out to my dear Nicola, who absolutely loves that track, as do I. Guys, it's been a great show. I will apologise earlier that there was a little bit of a glitch uh, during Jem's Feel Good Tunes uh, interview with Jem Swallows. Um, and we will have that repaired for repeat so hopefully if you're listening repeat you heard that whole thing and it will be of course on the podcast which you can download wherever you get your podcast from as always so please do check that out and apologies to Jem for that so guys we're at the end of another show thank you very much to Jem thank you very much to Eddie Pence the fantastic comedian you can check out his un- com- unspecial comedy special wherever you stream or buy uh, your audio and uh, it's absolutely wonderful very funny time a very funny man and uh, i think it's been a great show tonight uh, please look after yourselves in the week ahead and remember guys in a world where you can be literally anything please be kind i've been dog squee that was my show i'm not trying to win i'm not doing this because i want to beat someone or because i hate someone or because because i want to blame someone not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right. Because it's decent. And above all, it's kind. It's just that. Just kind. Hey, you know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best I can do. Why not? Just at the end. Just be kind.